Hi, everyone. My name is Kevin Peterson, and welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Alcoholics drink and addicts use drugs because they like the effect produced. And that's normal for them to do that. It's abnormal for them to stay sober. So I get it. I understand why you struggle. And I I just want to let you know it's okay and that we love you no matter what. That's just how it works. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today is December 20th, and as usual, I have a guest in the studio. Kevin Peterson, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Michael. It's wonderful to be here, and it's an honor. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, So you know how this works. We usually get the show started by having the guest read the Daily Reflection, and today is December 20th. Kevin, would you get us started? Absolutely. This is from the Daily Reflections, that this is December 20th, the rewards of giving. This is indeed the kind of giving that actually demands nothing. He does not expect his brother sufferer to pay him or even to love him. And then he discovers that by the divine paradox of this kind of giving, he has found his own reward whether his brother has yet received anything or not. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 109. Through experience with the 12th step work, I came to understand the rewards of giving that demands nothing in return. At first, I expected recovery in others, but I soon learned that this did not happen. Once I acquired the humility to accept the fact that every 12th step call was not going to result in a success, then I was open to receive the rewards of selfless giving. Thanks for reading that. And this is a, a an interesting one, especially in the context of, of you and what you do. I mean, I know that you, you work in the recovery space. And uh, while that's not technically 12-step work, uh, it is working with those seeking recovery. So I just want to leave it open and ask you, you know, what came to mind for you as you read this? Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. I, um, yeah, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I, uh, I got my sobriety date is May 5th, 1991. Um, I'm also active in adult children of alcoholics and work the steps there for the last four and a half years. Um, you know, it's interesting. When I first went back to graduate school in January of 2008 in Denver, Colorado, um, <laughs> one of my closest friends and favorite people in the whole wide world is a woman named Joe Nickel. And Joe uh, was the manager, uh, or the, I forgot what they called her, but then they'll just call her the manager of central office for Denver. Um, and you know, her whole thing was, you know, um, she had 
every day she had two shifts coming in nine to one, one to five. And, and they answered the phones and, and, you know, and she ran the central office, which is a whole other thing. But her whole thing was, hey, look, you know, if you really want to get into service, come down here, get on the front lines, answer the phones. Let me show you how we do it. And she took me under her wing and she turns out she also is a um, she has I know she has a bachelor's, a master's, and she may even have a doctorate of social work. And one of the things she said to me was, I want you to be super, super clear. What we do in AA is, you know, for fun and for free. It's service work. We're here to help others. And we're here to extend the hand of AA to the next person that walks in the door and says, I need help and I don't know what to do. She's like, I know you're going back to school and I know you're going to be a marriage and family therapist. I don't want you to ever confuse the two. That's work. And yes, work may look like at times you guiding people into programs of recovery for the family system and for the individuals, but you're getting paid for that. And, and that's great. She goes, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. That's wonderful. But what we do here in AA is, is an entirely different environment. And, and like you know, her whole thing was we do it for fun and for free. And so that was, you know, answering, answering your question about what it's like to be in the work environment uh, and working, you know, all day long, engaging with people that are struggling with either codependency and family of origin issues or, or actual addiction issues. Um, I just have to remember, you know, that my job is to, you know, be a therapist and maybe lead them to the, lead the horse to water, but, but it's not my job to get them drink. And, and it's, it goes the same thing for people that are, you know, when I'm talking to somebody personally, you know, outside of the therapist world, I, that my job is literally just to set the example and show it to them and say, here, you know, this is what it's all about. If you take it, great. If you don't, that's okay too. You know, that's on you. Yeah. And how often in your work with uh, marriage and family counseling, do you encounter situations where the program may seem applicable? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I built myself a niche of working with families that are struggling with addiction. So I, I started something called the Chronic Hope Institute. And, um, you know, our website is chronichope.us. And we have a new website. It's chronichopebook.com. We're giving away two books for free. Um, so a little shameless self-plug there. <laughs> right. um, but that's all I do. That, that's, that's my day is, is spent working with families that are struggling with addiction, whether it's the parents or the spouses or the children of, of an adult you know, person struggling with addiction. Um, and it, it, over time, it's just rotated into that environment. And and that's all I do. And now, and now I want to be clear, not every family I work with, you know, I don't immediately just push them into either Al-Anon or Naranon or Essanon or CODA or adult children. Because, you know, frankly, uh, a lot of times they're just not ready for it. You know, it's too much for them. It's overwhelming for them. So what we tend to do is spend a lot of time doing a lot of education and, you know, having them read books and watch, you know, videos and sort of bring them up to speed and be like, uh, and they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Now I see what you're talking about. Yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, it's, it's gotta be very rewarding despite the fact it's not really the same as uh 12 step work 
working from the perspective of a program, I, I got to imagine it's incredibly rewarding to uh, to be of service and to help families in that way. Yeah, it is. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, what's really funny is that when I was in graduate school, I took a class on uh, in what we call theories, right? And my professor was this really wonderful person, Nicole Murray Swank. She's incredible. And she would start every class with a five-minute meditation, which I was just like, oh, I have found my person. This is it, man. And, and she was wonderful. And, and uh, it was a 16-week class. And she said, you know, here's the thing. One of these theories is going to hit you right in the eye. And that's going to be you. That's going to be where you go. And about halfway through the class, we did family systems. And I was like, oh, boy, hello. You know, that's I mean, everything was just resonating. All the lights were going off. And I was like, this is me. And she's like, good news, because next semester we're starting a marriage and family program. And I think you'd be a perfect candidate to be in the first class. And and so I did. I transferred over to that program and, and ended up graduating in 2011 with a master's in marriage and family therapy from Regis. And it just you know, I, it just made sense. You know, I, it, I didn't have to work. It was like, oh yeah, sure. I get it. This makes perfect sense. Um, and then, you know, I come from a family of addiction. I grew up in Palo Alto, California. My mom was a, a drug addict, prescription drug addict. My dad was super codependent. Every generation of my family that we can trace has addiction, alcoholism, and codependency flowing through it on both sides. Um, and a lot of mental health issues as well. So I grew up in that environment. Uh, I started drinking and using when I was 13, you know, and then I got sober when I was 27. And then at 43, I went back into uh, graduate school. And so I like to think that I kind of bring uh, a unique perspective to the place, to the table professionally in the sense that um, I grew up on that house. I understand what it's like to be the family member caught up in a tornado of somebody else's stuff and, and feeling like there's just no way out you know, um, and then uh, I became the addict and the alcoholic. And, and you know, just I know that lifestyle backwards and forwards. And then I got sober. And then I became a mental health professional. So I think I'm really in a unique position to be able to help people sort of see things from all sides of the equation. Reflection talks about uh, expectations. And um, I want to ask this in two separate contexts. The first, from your professional work, I mean, is it difficult as a therapist to not expect them to recover, you know, knowing that you, you have a solid program, knowing that you've got years of experience doing this? How do you not have these expectations? <laughs> well, I do. Is <laughs> the flat truth. And I think one of the things that I've learned over time is that when I start to get irritated and, and start to have the expectations, and, you know, the old saying is that an expectation is just a resentment waiting to happen, you know, and, and so when I start to get those resentments towards my clients um, or towards the family system that I'm working inside, um, that's when I have to sort of step back and, and realize, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to force them into something that they just might not be ready to accept or understand. And that's okay, you know, and, and what that really, and then, you know, as for a therapist, right? For a private pay therapist like myself in private practice, that can get a little scary because that means that they're, you know, I'm probably gonna end up disengaging with them and, you know, having to hope that another client comes along and, you know, 
and and takes that time slot and, and contributes to my income. But that's really where, and this is the essence of this reflection is this is about faith and trust in God. You know, I will do my job. I will, I will, you know, chop the wood, carry the water, bring it to where it needs to be. And I will present it to the family and present it to the individuals and encourage them to continue to go further. But that's up to them. That's not up to me, you know, and, and it's dangerous in, in, in the context of being a mental health professional, because, you know, you can start to get a little bit of a complex of thinking that you're a savior and you're going to fix people and solve their problems. And um, when I start to get to that space, I have to pull back and realize, yeah, that's not my job. You know, one of the notes that I actually wrote for myself, Michael, because I wrote notes, is that um, I'm in the action business. I'm not in the results business. Mm-hmm. That's not my job. Yeah. Yeah. So let's look at it from the the perspective of Kevin, the addict alcoholic. I mean, um, <laughs> how do you, first of all, let me ask you the question. Are you, are you active in sponsorship to others in the program? I am. I am. I, I'm currently, I mean, okay. So currently I don't have anyone, but, but I, but I, oh no, that's not true. I do. I do. <laughs> I, I was in Denver last week and a guy that I really adore and thinks is a wonderful man asked me to sponsor him. So that's not true. Um, I, I, and I, I was taught um, a very straightforward way of how to sponsor people. It's very direct. It's very linear out of the book. Um and, you know, it's interesting that I, I look back on the number of people that I've sponsored over the 30 years, right? You know, and, and I mean, I don't know if they're still sober or not. And I don't know if they're happy or healthy or life's treating them well. I mean, I keep track of some people we inter- we're still friends. Um, but, you know, my job was to make the presentation and offer it to them. And if they didn't want it, that's okay. You know, now over time, sure. When I was you know newer and that sort of thing, I was pissed. You know, and, and you know, I, you know, what's really interesting is that I had a, a guy that I sponsored named Glenn uh, in Colorado. Um, he we were at the we were at the Boulder uh, campus group on Tuesday night. <laughs> it, it was a great meeting. I love that meeting. And um, he he would he would relapse a lot. He really struggled, you know, and um he raised his hand and said, I, you know, and this was before I was sponsoring him. And, uh, you know, and, and there was, there's always this automatic response within the structure of AA or 12 step programs of, well, here's what you did wrong and you weren't doing it hard enough. And here's all the reasons why it happened. And I, I raised my hand. I said, you know, here's the, what I've learned over the 20 years I've been sober or whatever, whatever the hell it was, is that alcoholics drink and addicts use drugs because they like the effect produced. And that's normal for them to do that. It's abnormal for them to stay sober. So I get it. I understand why you struggle. And I, I just want to let you know it's okay. And that we love you no matter what. But, you know, it's just, that's just how it works, you know. And he came up to me afterwards and said, you're the first person to say that to me. And I was like, well, you know, look, trust me. When I was younger, I used to be like, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. You know, and it's like, oh God, I mean, he already felt like this big. So he didn't need that response from me. He, what he needed was someone who put their arms open and said, come on, let's figure this out together. You know? Yeah. And while you were saying that, I mean, this came to me, I mean, it, love and tolerance is our code, right? 
Well, it's our code. That doesn't mean we actually do it. <laughs> you know, and again, that's just, you know, we got to be loving and tolerant of the people that aren't loving and tolerant. Yeah. Like sure. we, have, <laughs> we have to be loving and tolerant of the dogs when they bark in the middle of the podcast. And then they all it's barrel all... out of the room and knock the camera. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Yeah. That makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right, is that it's, as, as, a, as a person in long-term recovery, it definitely is challenging because I know the solution. You know, I know what the solution is. You go to meetings, you get a sponsor, you work the steps, and then you do it again, you know, and it never goes away because the disease never goes away. But, you know, some people just, they, they, need, they need to go back out and explore it again. And that's their, that's up to them. I want to make sure we leave space for anything else you want to tell the listeners. I do. I do. I do. I do. I wanted to read something. So one of the things that I think is a misconception in the concept of the 12 step recovery world is people always say, well, this is a selfish program. You know, I have to help you in order to get something for me. And it's just, that never sat well for me. I was just like, Oh God, I just, that's how I lived when I was drinking. I was always, you know, everything had a condition. Everything had a, had an attachment, a string attached to it. It's like, I'll help you, but I get what I want. You know, I hate when people say that. That really upsets me. And then I read this piece of the big book and I, and I wanted to share this to you. This is page 159 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it says, um, all this time, our friend of the hotel lobby incident remained in that town. He was there three months. He now returned home, leaving behind his first acquaintance, the lawyer and the devil-may-care chap. I love the way this is written. These men had found something brand new in life. Though they knew they must help other alcoholics if they would remain sober, that motive became secondary. It was transcended by the happiness they found in giving themselves for others. They shared their homes, their slender resources, and gladly devoted their spare hours to fellow sufferers. They were willing day by, by day or by night to place the new man in the hospital and visit him afterwards. They grew in numbers. They experienced a few distressing failures, but in those cases, they made an effort to bring the man's family into a spiritual way of living, thus relieving much worry and suffering. So, you know, for me, the whole thing is, I'm, you know, here, here's, here, here's how it was explained to me, and I, I still be, believe this. When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe that God said, Kevin, I have, I have a, a, an offer, <laughs> I have a deal, and here's the deal. I'm gonna save your life. And I'm going to give you the life you've never dreamed of. Here's my condition. When somebody asks for help, you help them. And, and I was like, okay, cool. And, and that makes sense to me. And, and so that's, that's how I've lived my life, you know? Um, and I think that's the thing is that, you know, it's my job to offer help, offer a solution, be there for the other person. And that's, um, that's my responsibility. And it's not because I get, you know, it's, it's my job is to give and, and to give unconditionally um, with love in my heart. And what you do with it is up to you. 
you know? Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. You know, I'm thinking about the rewards, like what are the rewards you get from that? I mean, I know you don't expect them, but there are rewards. Sure. You know what? Um, So sir, there's material rewards, you know, don't get me wrong. I have a wonderful life. I have a wonderful life. We have dogs. We have a nice home. You know, we have a good, we have a good gig. Um, But here's the rewards. Um, I'm sober. Um, I don't have to wake up wondering um, where I am, who I'm with, what I've done. Um, I don't have to, this is a big one for me because this is how I lived when I was drinking. I don't have to remember my cover stories. I don't have to remember my lies. I don't have to remember my cover, my track stuff because I don't do that, you know? Mm. Um, And I, I just don't have that in my life today. And that's that in itself, that level of integrity Spiritual integrity is what we call that, right? And, and and that level of spiritual integrity, you just, you know, it's irreplaceable. Um, and I think that's the thing that I would, I encourage people to sort of embrace and understand as they go through working the steps and, and go through their life and recovery and realizing it's not about the material rewards. It's about, you know, waking up and being okay with yourself and okay with your world um, and feeling like, yeah, okay. And, 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 you know, I was actually telling a guy today, this was kind of funny. I was telling a guy today because, you know, he was talking about, you know, he's going to, he was going to go volunteer at a soup kitchen for Christmas. I'm like, I think that's great. I said, you know what? I once saw a friend of mine, uh, ringing the bell at the, um, Salvation Army, um, dressed as Santa in front of a grocery store. And I was like, what are you doing? I mean, it was like, it was just like a, it's a community service or something. And he's like, no, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, my life's great. And I just want to give back to others because it just makes me feel better. And he wasn't even in AA, you know, and I just remember, yeah, right. That's right. This is about, you know, being of service and helping others. And then it turns out people outside of recovery have this figured out as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's a beautiful thing. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure, Michael. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.